So in our world, there are folks that uh, don't need any introduction. That really includes Scott Galloway, author of many books, The Four, The Algebra of Happiness, most recently post-corona. He's professor of marketing at NYU Stern School of Business. He has founded several companies, and he's host of the upcoming The Prof G Show right here on Bloomberg Quick Take. Delighted to have him back with us, Scott Galloway, on the phone in Florida. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for setting that impossibly high bar, though. <laughs> no pressure <laughs> oh there, God. Mr. Galloway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried. <laughs> so, okay. so listen, we want to hit you on a couple of things. First of all, um, mm-hmm. the Facebook news today, it kind of, mm-hmm. I think we thought there was going to be a solution of Trump on or not the platform, and he's banned, but the company still has to make a decision down the road about ultimately long-term what do you make of this news, and how should social be treating people like Donald Trump and others? Well, they should be anyone who is responsible for a third of misinformation around a specific domain, in this case, election interference, should be banned from the platform. So, you know, this is, this is Facebook's attempt to abdicate responsibility. This oversight board, I think, has got the charm of the League of Nations with the effectiveness of the United Nations. I think it's a total abdication <laughs> of responsibility. Yeah. And what they said was, we're going to hurry up and do nothing. We're going to make the. It's kind of the mother of all non-decisions. Um, I'm glad he's not back on the platform. Mm-hmm. But it's typical. It's typical Facebook. It's it's kind of just more delay and obfuscation. Well, Scott, uh, how how has it been so easy for Twitter and Snap to make their decisions about President Trump, but it's been so tortured for Facebook and and for uh, Google's YouTube? You know that's that's a really interesting question. I think I think Google and uh, Facebook, to a certain extent, are still trying to hold on to this myth that they're just a platform. Uh, I think that they are they aren't niche companies. What's interesting is that there's definitely sort of a purity trade. And what do I mean by that? If you look at Pinterest and Snap, they've outperformed their peer group and they're largely seen as having less noxious, toxic content. And Twitter, since kicking Trump off the platform, had sort of its strongest run in several years. So it appears there's sort of an immunity trade or a purity trade. I think Facebook and Google still want to try and cling to the notion that we want all content all the time anyone regardless of the damage it does and they're still kind of holding to that kind of zeitgeist they're um they don't see themselves as niche players uh i I think they're they're more they're they're less less focused on pleasing any one audience just don't want to just they'll be mildly upsetting to everybody You know, Sarah Fryer at Bloomberg News putting out a story saying that maybe Facebook has to provide more options for Donald Trump types, saying that there should be a way for Donald Trump, his thoughts and other Trump-like figures to exist on social media without kind of all the amplification that many of these platforms provide. These are Sarah's words, to be fair. Um, Do you agree with that, that there needs to be another option if we believe in freedom of speech? And I understand your point about misinformation, but how do we treat this, Scott? Yeah, that's a tough problem, but I think we conflate freedom of speech with freedom of reach, and that is the conversation around anti-vax is a worthwhile conversation we should have. There are people who want to have a conversation around white supremacy, and those conversations should be had. The question is whether for-profit entities should have algorithms that purposely seek out that type of controversial, very upsetting content and elevate it exponentially beyond what it would get organically because it is so noxious, because it is so heinous, it creates enragement. And enragement equals engagement, which equals more Nissan ads, which means 
that Facebook uh, gets wealthier. So the question is, should we have business models hmm. that purposely uh, link profits to the enragement, division, and polarization of our society? Should there be some sort of tax? But this notion somehow that everybody deserves voice, these firms have, these individuals have massive voice. The question is, should we, the most profitable companies in the world, be engaged in a business model where they end up being handmaids to sedition or where a Capitol Police officer is bludgeoned to mm-hmm. death with a fire extinguisher because these algorithms are amplifying the most controversial content. So in our world, there are folks that uh, don't need any introduction. That really includes Scott Galloway, author of many books, The Four, The Algebra of Happiness, most recently post-corona. He's professor of marketing at NYU Stern School of Business. He has founded several companies, and he's host of the upcoming The Prof G Show right here on Bloomberg Quick Take. Delighted to have him back with us, Scott Galloway, on the phone in Florida. Scott Galloway, um, is Apple taking too much? Does does Epic have a point here? Because at the end of the day, you know, Apple's argument is, hey, we are giving you access to the customers and we're making this a safe place for our customers to to access your apps. Yeah, I think that's the argument that they've made a staggering investment to ensure safety and they've made a huge investment in laying down the rails and they should be able to charge what they want to access those rails. The question is, if you start seeing everything that's being transported on those rails and you see that certain goods are going to a certain area and you decide, wow, based on that insight, we'd like to start a competitive business, Apple Music, and we're going to tax our competitor 30 percent and maybe promote our own products, are you, in fact, uh, in a monopoly position? The App Store really is their regulatory Achilles heel. I I think they're Mm going to lose on this one. I would have gone further than this. Uh, but this is it's very difficult to argue that they're not imposing or not taking advantage of the fact they own the rails to compete with the with the other products that access those rails. So if, in fact, there's monopoly power here at scale and an argument that they need to have one player and that size is good for everybody, then they're a utility and their prices should be regulated. I think they're all wet on this one. All right. Playing a little bit of devil's advocate, and maybe it's not apples to apples, Scott, but what about a Walmart that, you know, how it squeezes its suppliers or an Amazon where it gets a piece of everything that's sold on its platform? Um, I know it's not, like I said, maybe an equal comparison, but is it that much different? Yeah, I think it is, Carol, because I think Walmart is about 8 or 9% of retail, and the App Store on iOS is about 80% of all dollar volume that goes through apps. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a player in the app economy, there really is only one place, and iOS is where the majority of people go to actually spend money on apps. So if Walmart gets the 80% market share of all retail, then it's apples to apples. All right. So listen, one thing, you know, I wanted to ask you, Tim and I both wanted to, we were thinking about coming off of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting this past weekend. And Warren Buffett put up a slide. It was the top 20 market cap global companies in 89, 1989. It was names like Toyota, General Motors, Exxon, IBM, six U.S. companies, 14 from other countries. He pointed out, Scott, that none of the 20 are on today's list of the top 20 market cap companies. And he says it's a reminder of extraordinary things that happen in 1989, not the dark ages, not a backward time. So I'm curious, how do you think about today's top mega market cap companies, whether it's Apple, Google, Amazon, you wrote about them in the four. Should we think in 20 years from now, or I don't know, 10 years, they're not going to be the juggernauts that they are? Well, look, a basic truism is that everything everywhere eventually ends. And at some point, these companies will be dethroned. The question is, what kind of damage do they do between here and now by not returning to our proud legacy of antitrust? And that is 
AT&T eventually would have been unseated, but we went in and broke it up into seven companies, and we unleashed tremendous innovation, cell, data, fiber. Each of those seven companies ended up being worth more than the original within 10 years. So my argument is, sure, at some point, everyone is dethroned, but between now and then, is there an opportunity to oxygenate the economy, to increase job growth, increase taxation, increase M&A by doing what we have always done, and that is when a company becomes an invasive species, we go in and we break it up. It's overdue. Antitrust is absolutely overdue here. Which companies need to be broken up right now? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above, right? right? But like, I mean, well, except for Apple. Okay. Apple would be hard to break up because elegant antitrust means you unlock value. It's not a punishment. It's a liberation for all stakeholders. All stakeholders except the CEO who wants to sit on the iron throne of all of Westeros, not just the king of the north. <laughs> Apple would be tough because who would get rights to the brand? So Apple ends up, you regulate the app store, but Amazon gets broken up, as does uh, Facebook and Google. Mm. Wow. And by the way, yeah. I own shares in all those companies except Facebook, and we're all going to make money on the day of the breakups. Talk about that, though. Is it because you know AWS by itself is, is worth yeah. more than AWS as part of Amazon? That's, that's exactly the correct question. In 2025, the most valuable company in the world will be an AWS that was spun prophylactically, the fastest growing, largest player, and the most profitable, most fastest growing sector in history, the cloud, will be the stock that every hedge fund manager, every girl who gets her bar mitzvah gets as a gift, everyone will own AWS stock. Most valuable company in the world in four years is AWS. It'll be an NFT, though, right? It's not going to be an actual certificate. <laughs> We're stacking it, Carol. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you know, you wrote about these four companies. I mean, who are the companies? Who, who are the, or what's the technologies that you think are going to be kind of the replacement for the Apples and Googles today? You talked about the cloud. I get that. Are there other things on your radar that you're thinking, listen, we're just not talking about it enough, but these are the ones that are going to be the big market cap companies of the future? There's a lot of incredible companies and incredible technologies. The unfortunate thing is it's usually the same players. The, yeah. we're, the biggest unlock coming out of the pandemic is we might have an opportunity. Virtual visits to doctors went from less than 1% to 30%. There's an incredible opportunity to start pushing out primary health care to hundreds of millions of Americans and take health care from a disease-driven defensive industry to an offensive health-driven industry. That's the good news. It's going to create trillions of dollars in value. The bad news is the company that will be the fastest-growing healthcare company in the world will be Amazon. Hmm. Uh, voice is the most exciting technology. Who dominates that? Uh, Amazon. The cloud, who dominates that? Microsoft, Amazon, and OEA, oh yeah, Google. So there's some incredible companies just off the list, the Shopify's, the Roku's, the Salesforce's, the Alibaba. But these companies continue to outpace all the rest. A lot of big numbers doesn't seem to apply to these guys. I don't know if you've watched Apple's earnings up 50 yeah. plus percent, yeah. the yeah. revenues. It's nuts. The iPhone up 60 plus percent, sales in China up 80 right. percent. Oh, and they increased their margins and their services <laughs> revenue. It's just it's just charts. staggering. Hey, Scott, I want to end just with a personal question to you. It's not, I know it's something that you think about a lot after I read The Algebra of Happiness. You talked about it with Jacqueline Novogratz on your podcast, The Prof G Show, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but what it means to be a good parent. You asked her that question. And I know it's something you think a lot about. But as I'm raising my young son, talk to me about what you've learned uh, raising a couple of kids. And we only he, have about 45 seconds I was going to say he left. asked you and you got, we got about yeah. 50 seconds. <laughs> Oh, gosh, we're going to need a bigger bus. So first off, <laughs> if you if you drove by my house and you heard the screaming, you might not want to ask me that question. But <laughs> look, I, I think what I've the, the takeaway I've got coming out of this pandemic as a dad 
is that my I always saw my role is to discipline and to teach and to back up mom and to set boundaries. And what mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion of is that what I need to do more of is just be someone who, who loves them and demonstrates and cements that every day. We're yeah, going to leave it on I'll that note. It. That's a great, great way to finish up. Hey, Scott, thank you so much. Take care of yourself and, and look forward to uh, talking to you again. And uh, always appreciate all the time you give us. Scott Galloway, professor of marketing, NYU Stern School of Business, author of many books. Check them all out. And uh, he's doing things in education, too, with his Section 4 company. So I uh, highly recommend you Google that as well.